wanting your faith to work. That's my message today. Matthew 5, verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Heavenly Father, lead us, guide us, preacher, listener, open hearts, all over this house by your Spirit, we pray. Amen. This is the concluding message in this part on the series of Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in the autumn, I will be continuing to do this teaching, but online, remotely. One of our Elam ministers has a tremendous ministry in the realm of public theology, meaning he will address parliamentarians, business leaders, and others on the difference that the gospel makes, what the church can do to serve community. He was challenged by a humanist lady politician who said, what's so special about the church? The church is finished. What are you talking about the church? Why, why are you so confident? He thought for a while and replied, wherever there's a crisis, wherever there is suffering and pain, wherever there is a need, we are there. He paused, she thought, she said, you know, if I got to believe that were really true, I would consider joining. This shows the difference we can make when we go public with our faith. Many of you know I have uh, an effective work amongst young people. I've been a little bit removed from it in Brazil because of lockdown, but it's still carrying on. It's called Pulso. Young people, millennials, and Generation Z. And increasingly, of course, I'm doing it here in the UK. Uh, I have contact, contacts of young people right across Europe and here in London, and we get together as much as we can and talk and share. Once I was introduced to a new member of our little uh, group, he looked very skeptically at me, somewhat angrily and very defiantly. What's so special about you? I thought like saying nothing, but I thought I better have a better idea than that. So the answer came very quickly. I looked at him straight in the eye and said, I care and waited. I could tell what he was thinking. He was rather taken back, but I, 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 his mind was working something like this. Well, we'll see about that. Don't ever tell somebody you care unless you mean it. Don't ever say that unless you're going to back it up. And Amanda probably is the only one who knows the hours that have gone into the consequences of backing up my statement that I care for one individual young person. Over the last 14 messages, I've been showing you how the teaching of Jesus unfolds the great story of God's love to humanity and how he brings you as disciples of Jesus into that 
story. It begins with Jesus, the Messiah, the King, who brings God's kingdom, God's rule into the earth. He went about teaching, preaching, healing, delivering, and finally, dying on the cross, offering his life as a sacrifice in place of you and me, that we might be saved. And on the third day, Jesus being raised again from the dead to prove and to demonstrate that everything he said about himself in the kingdom was true. And then ascending to the right hand of the Father to be our surety, to be our eternal security, ever living to make intercession for us. Now that great event of the gospel, the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, which will be finished off in the second coming of Jesus, all of that requires a response. It's not just something that happens automatically. You have to receive it as you receive a free gift. The Bible explains, and Jesus himself went into detail, that this meant the call upon your life is to Turn away from your sin and put your trust fully in Christ and in Christ alone for your righteousness, for your acceptance, your total acceptance by God and your eternal security in your salvation. This centers in and around the new birth, being born again. You can't make it happen to you, but you cannot see the kingdom of God until you have been born again. God gives you a whole new identity, a new spiritual orientation, a heart to know God and a heart to follow God. And it's only that nature that will enable you to respond truly and fully to God. That's how faith grows in your life. That's how you live the righteous life that God requires, by being born again. And Jesus describes that life, at least the character description in broad detail in these verses we've been looking at from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, right the way through to chapter 5, verse 16. The character qualities that belong to those who are in the kingdom, those who want to develop and become fruitful as disciples of Jesus. He's describing the life of a disciple, not just somebody who says, yes, I believe. Now, if somebody believes in Jesus, I'm not going to doubt them. I'm not going to deny them. But I will say, come along. It's not just about believing. It's also about following Christ and working out your faith in everyday life and circumstances. And that's the only consistent response. When you think of all that Jesus has done for you, your only consistent response is one of loving gratitude, and also taking up your new capacity, your new aptitude, gratitude and aptitude, gratitude, loving response. Thank you, Jesus, you've done so much for me. I just want to fully and freely serve you because I love you. And you discover a new ability, a new aptitude. You can begin to say no to the things that would hold you down before. You can begin to embrace the things that weren't that attractive to you before because now everything to do with God and his will and his life pleases you. And throughout these verses we've been looking at over these last 14 messages, we've seen time and again how God rewards faithfulness. The sermon is lined with the promises of reward and blessing that come to those who fully love God 
and obey him. Now, in this final message in this part of the series, I, I want to share with you on a vital topic, a very important topic. That is the connection between faith and good works. Very important for you to grasp. In fact, the teaching has been implicit throughout the sermon up until now, but he makes it very explicit when he talks about let your light shine in this way before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, you know, the context, we looked at it last time, is salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. In other words, this is our capacity, our role to act as salt and light in the world, to bring spiritual sanitizing, uh, spiritually influencing our environment, shining as light so that people can see more clearly, morally, intellectually, socially and culturally. In fact, it, we are essential to the ongoing health and well-being of the planet. And we focused on that last time. Certainly you have a, a vital role in outworking God's kingdom on earth. He's using you to bring his kingdom. You have a job to do. You, there should be no such thing as, a, as an unemployed disciple. I'm not talking about your job in the wider world, although I'll come to that. I'm talking about your job in the kingdom of God. You are on a mission as a disciple of Jesus. In other words, all of this is saying, put your faith to work. Now our passage, Matthew 5, verse 16, calls to my mind three key words. Identity, visibility, and motivation. Identity. You are the light of the world. In other words, what you do flows from who you are. Your doing flows from your being. We are, first of all, human beings before we are human doings. It's your identity. And this operates, your identity operates through good works. That's how you shine. Faith works by love. Deeds arising from faith, which benefit others. Deeds as the expression of love for the benefit of others. That's what love is, putting others above yourself, thinking about their needs, not just your own needs. And what's more, this kind of faith without love or without action is absolutely useless. It serves no practical purpose but we are called to serve our society. And when we do, we're not doing it for ourselves. And we should be sometimes just a bit as puzzled when they ask us, why are you doing this? What's different about you? Why are you doing this? We should be as puzzled with the question as they are in wanting to ask the question, what? why are we doing this? <laughs> That's who we are. That's what we do. We're lovers of God. We're here for you. That's who we are. Now, when we talk about the relationship between faith and works, let me cover a little bit of ground for you. 
Some people teach that Jesus kind of had a sort of broad-based understanding and presentation of the gospel, and Paul comes along and adds to it, and others in the New Testament kind of add to it. No, no, the whole gospel message is found in Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. He is the good news. Now, I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 2 in a moment, but before we get there, let me see if you can recognize Jesus' teaching and what Paul is about to say. I find it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the first of those eight blessed attitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, somebody who doesn't trust in their own righteousness and knows they've got nothing to offer to God, is that's the person who's going to be right with God and acceptable to God. Paul puts it this way, Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. Are you ready? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. That's Jesus' teaching. That's exactly what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's begin. First of all, it's by grace. That's why we're saved. That's the source of our salvation, the grace of God, freely given, like a gift that we have to receive. The way to receive is by faith. Saved by grace through faith. That's the only way to receive this. And then it goes on to say, for the purpose of salvation, what it leads on to the day after you're born again, what it leads on to is a life of service, walking in the good works that God has prepared for you. Did you get that? What God has prepared for you. Tailor made for you. Exactly corresponding to who you are. I mean, who you really are, the you that is you, that's nobody else but you, the you that he made and had in his mind when he made you in the first place. Your temperament, your abilities, your personality, your dreams, your aspirations, all that is in the bundle called you is fulfilled in what he has prepared for you. First of all, he created you for this. Secondly, when we fell away from him, we, he recreated us for this. And thirdly, what this is, is what he had in his mind and prepared for you, exactly fitting to you. So when you find this place in God, you will discover that the deepest dreams that you have, the greatest desires and abilities that God has given you will be fulfilled and satisfied when you serve Jesus and walk in the works that he has for you. Don't die before you discover who you are. I mean, get there quickly. Lay hold of everything that God has for you. Now that's Paul commenting in many ways on Matthew 5 verse 3. Now, how about James? What he says in James chapter 2 could well be a commentary on Jesus' teaching on Matthew 5 16, our verse today. Let your light shine in this way before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's choose some verses. Now, when we start comparing Paul and James, you've got a little bit of sorting out to do. I've got to apologize on behalf of my fellow Bible expositors, many of them, and Bible commentators who blow this big time. Now, it sounds arrogant, but I'll show you how. 
All right, we've got to get to what James and Paul are saying. They're not contradicting each other. They're saying the same thing, but slightly different perspective. Okay, James chapter 2, first verse 21. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, remember the story he brings. In comes a rich man. You say, oh, take the best seat. We love you. And a poor man, oh, stay over there. And afterwards, you go and pray for him. Let's have a little prayer for our dear brother. The brother's hungry. He's got no clothes. He's got no accommodation. Let's pray for him. Everybody lay your hands on his stomach. Be filled. Put your hands on your shoulders. Be warmed. And go, God bless you. Goodbye. See you next Sunday. Your faith is useless. Until you put in your, ha- your hands in your pocket and say, here, there's something to eat. Here, we'll help you. In other words, faith that's not put into action is useless. And James goes further than that. He said it's so useless and so unproductive that it might as well be dead. Verse 26. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It doesn't mean it's non-existent or even unreal. It just means it's fruitless and unproductive. And then he makes this statement that's caused all the trouble. Verse 25, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Alarm bells should be ringing. How does this fit? The Apostle Paul says, you are justified by faith and by faith alone. James says, you're justified by faith plus works. Very simple. Look at the context of both of them. When Paul says that, he's saying, before God, there's only one way to be right with God, and that is through faith and faith alone, putting all your eggs in one basket, trusting in Christ and in his righteousness alone, without works. Paul actually says, apart from works. Now, James says, yeah, yeah, that's how you're justified before God. But you know what? You need to understand your relationship with others. The word justified means vindicated. You're vindicated before God by faith alone, but that won't vindicate you before other people because your faith alone isn't going to help them. They will start to vindicate you. They will see the reality of your faith. They will begin to praise God when they see what you do, not just what you say. You have to say and do. But if you say and don't do, you're useless. Your faith is useless. You're not applying it. It's like having a power tool in your toolbox and never actually using it. So now... There is no contradiction. But I think James is very relevant for us today because can you see how that is? It's almost as if James says, oh, let me explain Matthew 5, 16 to you. Here's how I see it. And he explains that what God wants is for us to put our faith into action and then they will see our good works and they will justify us They will vindicate us by praising our heavenly Father and things like this. You are a true believer. You know what? Has anybody said this to you? I think many of you will have heard this. I hear it often. Oh, you're not like those other Christians. What what do you mean? Well, you love people. 
You care for people, actually. <laughs> Probably. Has anybody said that about you? Let's, let's do a test. Anybody ever said that about you? Well, come on, more hands than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so actually, if they came here and spoke, they'd say, you're not like a regular Christian. You're not like another Christian. You're like, oh, no. All Christians who are really following Jesus love God, love one another. We give ourselves wherever there's a need or a problem or a lack. We are there not drawing attention to ourselves, but pointing to Jesus. All right, why? Because that's who we are, identity. But identity is not enough. The second word is visibility, visibility. Jesus is saying, don't privatize your faith. Go public with it. Go public with it by what you do, not just by what you say, but by what you say and by what you do. So visibility is all about being positioned correctly. This is so holy, so sacred, so important. One of the most important things that you can get to grips with in your life as a Christian. God has called you and ordained you and put you in a certain place. Where you are now is where he's put you. If you seek to move, it better be God. Because if it's you going on your career path, moving out of London to get a better lifestyle and not worrying about the poverty in the inner city, or I, I, I'm going to compromise in my position, I'm just going to get that job and I'll just keep quiet about my faith because I've got a better income. That's why I'm here to make more money. Yes? No. You're here to serve God. Pray, pray, pray. Sometimes it's above your own human judgment. You feel prompted by the Lord to take a particular position which may actually not really make sense to you until you find actually he puts you there for that one person. He puts you there for that person who would never have seen Jesus in anybody until they saw Jesus in you. Walk by the Spirit, but realize you do not choose where you go and what you do. You say, God, place me, fix me. Fix me on the lampstand of your choosing that I might give maximum light and effectiveness for others. You know, uh, uh, indoor lighting is a thing. I mean, a big thing right now. Not only do we have the eco lights that you switch on and half an hour later, they give a little bit of light. You also have all kinds of interior design people telling you, oh, no, 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 you don't put a light there, you put a light here. And you let them loose, and actually the end result is beautiful. Uh, I have a friend whose father works in this area, and, and he has internally uh, lit whole hotels, and it's amazing what they can do with lights. There's a light from this corner, a light from that corner, a light that is LED, a light that is something else, light that comes out behind you, light comes from above, and when it's all on, oh, it is amazing. Now, every single light is designed, fixed, and connected to perform a very special function that only that light in that place can fulfill. That's the story of your life. To function as light, you must give visibility. To give visibility, you must be placed very carefully in the right way, not hidden away in church buildings. Quickly close the doors. 
Close the curtains. Dim the lights. The saints are at worship. No. Open the doors. Open the curtains. Church without walls. Flat out into the streets. Shine, Jesus. Shine. And so, (laughs) okay. So now, what what I want to press home just for a few moments longer is the majority of disciples are not called to work for Jesus merely within a church context. Let's say, for example, to be staff members or full-time workers within within the church. Now, uh, some of us are necessary, but majority of you will not be called to do that. And anyway, Jesus' goal is not that all of you get a job in the church or work for the church. Jesus' goal is that we should release the church to work in the world, to serve the world. Every calling is a holy calling. We all have the same calling to know God, to make him known. Whether you are a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker. Whether you are a doctor or a lawyer. And you make a difference. Let me tell you two true stories from those who are of our number. One in our network churches, a lawyer very angry with me when we took up the cell vision. How do you possibly expect me to be part of this? It's so demanding. I don't have time. Well, tell me about your life. He's up, leaving for work before breakfast, six o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, traveling right the way through across crowded London, working until six, seven at night, coming back eight, nine o'clock at night, And he says, and you expect me to have a cell meeting and 10 cell meetings? He said, tell me a little bit more. What's your day like? He began to describe. I could see there plenty of opportunities in the legal practice to shine for Jesus, not only in doing the job well, but in the connections he had. People come for legal uh, uh, counsel and their lives are broken. I said, what do you do with your clients over lunch? Oh, we take them to lunch. What do you talk about? Football. Good topic. What else you talk about? Chess. All right. Okay. How about Jesus? That's an idea. You don't have to go preaching and preaching in a way that is, is of putting. But do you know what? He began to witness at work in that way. Also, he said, what about my time problem? I said, well, you're a very high-powered person. You know the answer to that. What's that? When do you do your morning devotions? In the car to the station good. When you drive, pray, but pray with your eyes open. That's all I watch and pray, watch and pray. Uh, and and w- when, do you, when do you attend your uh, cell leaders meeting? I don't. Well, do they record it? Yes, they do. Listen to that on the train. Okay. And when do you contact your cell members? I'm too busy. Well, how about making some telephone calls on the way home to work? And you know, that man became the most fruitful cell leader in his church the man who had no time. Why? Because he shined for Jesus where he was. Tell you another story, and I've got many here, I've got to stop, but let me tell you one more. Um, Not so very long ago, I had had the privilege of attending a live concert. I won't give you the lady's name. You could probably guess, could have been one of several, but this lady was giving a concert in a nightclub, which was, She was given the main set 
And Amanda and I attended. Amazing. First of all, I never knew she could sing like that. I mean, it was amazing. She did cover songs of all of my favorite stars. And then she brought other KT worship people in and they began to sing. And then there came a moment she sang her song, which was her testimony. The Spirit of God came down in that place. Nobody could move or make a sound. And at the end, she just said something like, that's my Jesus. <laughs> and then she went on to sing a Barbara Streisand song. What is that shining in a dark place? Being who you are, being where God has called you to be. And don't dare you criticize anybody that is shining for Jesus in a difficult place because we need them there. Like I need you where you are. Amen and amen. Identity, visibility, now motivation. That is almost the most important thing. Motivation asks the question, why? Now, when we talk about good works, probably most people will say, yeah, I know what that means. But I want to ask you to think again about what good works mean. You see, what Jesus calls good works is in this context, good works are defined by the reason you do it, not just what you do the why you do it. Word good work is the word meaning also beautiful. That's a great word. You know, I don't go hunting around, but I do observe. And I see some of you, you don't know that I'm seeing you or hearing about you or just watching. I just take 30 seconds and I see something beautiful about you. It's not because you got your Sunday best. Be your best and leave the rest for the week, for the rest of the week. No. It's not because you are wearing some new perfume that gives some kind of olfactory aroma. So people say, well, that's a nice perfume. Where did you get it? But there is an aroma that flows from your life. There is a beauty that shines from your life because you are doing it's for Jesus. It's your devotion, just as much as the woman who poured out that very precious ointment, which was absolutely full of the fragrance of every precious essential oil, and that fragrance filled the atmosphere. When you do it for Jesus, when there's devotion in what you do, and you're doing it because you love Jesus, not asking for anything back. You're not drawing attention to yourself. Very different from some people. God is saying not everybody, but some people in the world who give for charity very publicly in order to be praised. Any television show where charity is mentioned, I'm giving this, oh, big applause. They're getting their applause. Jesus says, do it for God, not for applause. Don't do it to impress others. Don't do it that in some way that it draws attention to yourself. Do it for Jesus. Do it naturally. Do it by the Spirit, and it will bring glory to God. That's what a good work is. 
actually doing it for yourself or to attract attention, it don't smell good. It doesn't look good. It's ugly. Nothing more ugly than people trying to prove that they're holy or prove that they're good people. Sometimes their companies give a load of money to charitable works and to social work because they feel very guilty about some of the other stuff that's going on in the company. Many Christians believe that good works is a way of still trying to get God's attention, to earn their way to heaven. God, God, you've got to save me. Look at all the good stuff that I've done. Good works do not save you. Only the grace of God in Christ saves you, that you receive by faith and faith alone without works. There's no boasting in heaven. Good works don't save you. They don't even keep you saved. Why do you think your good works will keep you saved and they couldn't even get you saved in the first place? No, you are saved by the faithfulness of God. You are saved by the fact that God says, I've begun a good work in you and I'm going to bring you through. I'm never going to let you go. I have made a promise and Jesus is your guarantee. He's in heaven already. You're never going to be lost because Jesus saves you. Nobody saves you, but Jesus saves you. You don't even do good works in order to prove that you're saved. Don't try that. I know I'm saved because I've done this. Well, the devil will come and say, you did this and this, but you did that and that. And then you're in trouble. No. How do you know you're saved? You've taken all your eggs and put them in the one basket and his name is Jesus. All to Jesus. I commit my life to you. I trust in his righteousness, not my own. I trust in his unfailing love, not my own. I trust in what he has done for me, not what I could ever do for him. No. Here, Jesus says, one main role of your good works is to show other people the reality of Christ in you. That's a good reason to do it. But it only operates if you are truly doing it for Jesus out of devotion, out of real devotion. So, good works are beautiful. Everything done for the Lord, everything is out of love, devotion, is worship. Did you know you're worshipping Jesus when you're serving others? Oh, we are worshipping Jesus when we stand and sing these songs. Yes, we are worshipping Jesus when we give in the offering. We are worshipping Jesus when we declare and praise his name. But anything that is done out of pure devotion to Christ is pure worship. And I tell you who enjoys that aroma. God. More than anything else. I'm a little distracted because I'm thinking about the aromas that are wafting in here from the car park. That's the barbecue getting ready. We better have finished because there's some barbecue going on there in the, in the car park. Sermon is ending very quickly. There's been a few times, I just share it with you, and I, I don't make a big point about it, okay? Because I can't prove what I'm about to say, but it's interesting. There's been times when I'm just with a group of people who don't really know Jesus, and, and I'm not giving them a Bible study. I'm just being me and being there and hopefully spreading the presence of Christ on occasions, strange occasions. One or two of them have said, can you smell that? I think it's the house on fire. 
What is it? No, you smell it. It's beautiful. There's that fragrance. Can you smell it? But now the people say, yeah, I can smell it now. I don't believe them because that's just high psychology probably. But the people who first smell it. And do you know what I think sometimes is God is showing that we as believers bring a fragrance of Christ's presence. Has anybody, anybody testified to that ever at certain times? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, that that's proof. But anyway, whether it is physically sensible or not, people can smell something physically or not, you can be sure that they can smell it spiritually. And that's the unknown extra. That's the true X factor. Something above that we could never do. Now, don't let society privatize your faith. Go public. Stay public. Pray, speak, and do what Jesus says. Take you back to a quote that I quoted last week. It's a strong one. R.T. France, a great Bible expositor, Speaking on this very topic, this is what he says. This image, the one about salt needing to be applied and distributed in order to be effective, light needing to be shining in an effective place. This image takes for granted that the job description of a disciple is not fulfilled by private, personal holiness alone, but includes the witness of public Exposure. Shine where Jesus sends you. Be effective where he's called you. Church life is about ensuring that we're shining and we don't lose our salt. But real discipleship life is out there, being zealous for good works, works of service, and you watch it. They will come to you, and they before you will glorify your Father in heaven because they've seen Christ in you.